Welcome, friends. Welcome back to CorbettReport.com. I'm your host, James Corbett, and today we are talking once again to our old friend, Jack Blood, the host and uh, navigator of the Jack Blood Show. Of course, he's available at DeadlineLive.info, and uh, that will be linked up in the show notes. Jack Blood, my feral human, how are you today? Yes, feral humans and thought criminals, wherever you are today. And I love that. I, I'm a navigator on the radio talk show I do. I always say narrator, but I think I'm going to steal that from you, James. I appreciate that contribution. Please do. You can use that. You can be Captain Jack if you want, um, navigating us through the choppy tides of modern day life. And uh, well, I'm glad you're here to help us navigate these waters because there's a lot going on, specifically on the American home front that um, I'm not really keeping close track of from here on the other side of the planet. So hopefully you can fill us in. Actually, something that caught my eye today, something fresh up on Deadline Live as we're talking, Widow's House Sold by State for unpaid $6.30 fine. Yep, that is a shocking headline. Tell us about this story. Well, and I didn't see the militia heading over to protect her from the feds taking her house is the thing. <laughs> if you look at my story, it, you know, we're, we're still living in serfdom. And, you know, we've got the king, the international bankers, the earls and the barons, right? The CEOs, the knights. I call them the gatekeepers and the social climbers or the yuppies and uh, middle America. And then we wage earners, otherwise known as peasants. <laughs> and, and so here's a woman who, you know, her husband had just died in 2004. Her name was Eileen Basti, uh, Bassisti. And she owned a house in Beaver, Pennsylvania and got a little behind on her taxes. She's kind of old. It was about $235. She gets off to the bank. But she didn't know about the $6.30 interest, James. So the state sent her various notices. Uh, she didn't respond to those in a timely manner. So they've decided to auction off her home, which she owned outright, worth over $280,000. They did sell the house for $116,000, and they're going to try to get her most of that money, of course, minus <laughs> other interest payments, lawyers' fees, court costs, and whatever the government takes for itself. So that's pretty nice. Got to love the American government. Well, I like how you brought that up with regards to the uh, the Bundy Ranch cluster or something or other that's uh, taken place. And, of course, we did see the, uh, the the militias gearing up and getting ready for the big fight with regards to that, but not in a case like this. And that's significant, isn't it? I mean, these types of things are going on every single day to people all across the United States. Why is it that certain stories get picked up on and others make it as kind of a also-ran in the news? Well, it probably has a little bit to do with the profile of Clive and Bundy over there. I mean, he is a rancher. He's in Nevada. It's ranch country. It's very cowboyish. He's, he's got a lot of great neighbors that are sticking up for him. And that's maybe the moral to the story. Where is Eileen Bastisti's neighbors, you know, an old lady like that? Where's somebody to help her? Where's her family? And so, yes, they might have dropped the so-called bureaucratic ball, James, on this one particular story. And I'm sure this happens every day. People are losing their pensions. People are being taxed on the death tax and estate taxes and losing houses that have been in their family. Uh, the, the Bundy family, a good example of maybe one of the last farms in their county, one of the last ranches in their counties, right? Uh, this is happening all over America where small farms, family farms and ranches are being bought up or put out of business by the giant Tyson chickens uh, of the world. So, yet you don't see the BLM going and enforcing regulations on the Buffett or Soros or Ted Turner ranches for some reason. They don't really mess with the, I guess in this case, the Earls and the Barons. 
Yeah, I wonder why that is. Well, um, I, what what's the solution to this? I mean, does there need to be a citizens' movement for people like Eileen Battisti that falls in through the cracks, or is there something like this that we're just not picking up on? Well, I just can't. I can't imagine why we would endorse something like this. And this is something I don't, you know, like to generalize, but let's give the progressives a little punch in the in the mouth right here, because you notice how everything the progressive believes in, the phony ones, are because there are real ones, but it's generally regressive. And this is another example of a regressive tax, James, that is property taxes, withholding taxes, taxes on food and clothing, and you know, the list kind of goes on there, right? Uh, the big Wall Street guys pay capital gains taxes, even if they pay them. If you're in the 0.1 percent, not just the you know 1 percent, 0.1 percent, you know you get deferred taxes and subsidies, and you're actually getting paid by by the government a lot of times, right? So a lot of good it it does for Occupy Wall Street to call more taxes for the rich. So the real, I think the real solution is one: we need to stick with our neighbors and and be good communities together and help each other, and that's always good, but. We just can't abide by these regressive taxes anymore. I think we as a country kind of have to put our foot down and draw a line in the sand here on this thing. And if the progressives are really progressive and if people really believe in helping the, the poor, even the middle class, even the bourgeoisie, you know, they're going to have to let up on some of these regressive taxes. It's not even that this woman couldn't afford it. It's just a really never, never example of a heartless, soulless bureaucracy in a government, you know. For six dollars and thirty cents, yeah, that's that's worth a house, isn't it? Um, it is ridiculous, and the the sad part that you bring up there is that this really is divided along these silly factional um, lines, where the progressives would never stick up for someone like uh, a Clive and Bundy because you know he's he's a racist uh, redneck and uh, he's not one of us, and uh, and I think missing the broader point of what uh, what these principles are supposed to be about. Um, uh, perhaps oh, nothing yeah, new. He did there. the racist now, apparently. Yes, nah, he's yes, stuck yes. his foot in his big old horse mouth, and <laughs> you know, and I don't. I'm not a, a lot of people, you know, sticking up for him. James, they took him out of context. There is no context where you say black people would have been better off as slaves picking cotton. I'm sorry, <laughs> you can't convince me of that. But thank you for trying. But that's not even the reason. And you're right. You kind of just put your finger on it. Liberals and progressives and Democrats, they're just taught to believe in big government as opposed to, you know, phony c conservatives or what have you, or Republicans who believe in big business solving everything. Of course, both of those people are two heads of the same snake and a big problem. So they've kind of got both camps stashed out here. But when I had a problem, when I was trying to convince people that, that you really do have to support Clive and Bundy because he's a rancher, because of these these uh, selectively enforced regulations are really breaking the back of farmers everywhere because all he did was defy the rules, which many people looking at his personal contract said were really out of line, completely arbitrary and unilateral. And they were really trying to put him out of business and get that land. So he stood his ground. And I think that those principles are solid. Whatever he believes in, you know, with his personal beliefs, I mean, that's just a whole different issue. But you would always find these these um, liberals or whatever that they're saying, oh, well, he's got to pay his tax. He got to pay the tax. We, we can't support someone. Why doesn't he just pay? You know, he's greedy. Just should pay. Everyone should pay. I pay my taxes. You know, and that just falls into the column of two wrongs don't make a right. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe that we should have to pay income tax. I don't believe that it was ratified. I know that a lot of people get in trouble with that. You keep your head down. You don't go challenge the system, so to speak. But two wrongs don't make a right here, and it's always these very people that move from California, James, these, uh, you know, kind of phony 
bourgeois progressives, they're always moving to Texas because there's no state income tax there and it's easier for them to do business. So they talk a good game. They just can't walk the walk. Well, uh, you bring up a couple of points there that I want to pick up on. One is the idea that you, you do raise the idea there are real progressives out there that are true to their principles and aren't just mouthing it and aren't just walking the walk. Um, give me examples. Who, who are you talking about in that context? Well, I know, you know, Cindy Sheehan, she she refused to pay her tax based on she's running for governor of California right now. And I think, you know, maybe she could get some support and give those guys a run for her money. She's running against Governor Moonbeam, for God's sakes, over there. And she did pretty good against Nancy Pelosi, but she's somebody who refused to pay taxes. And she did so on the basis that she doesn't agree where the money's going. I mean, it was the same thing with Edna Lane Brown. They didn't want to pay their million-dollar back taxes. And you look, and then the next year, all that money was handed over to Wall Street and the giant bailouts, too-big-to-fail bailouts. I mean, that's where their money would have went, technically. So, so we have a right to complain. So Cindy Sheehan is a good example. Um, some would say Cynthia McKinney would be a good example of a real progressive, though, again, you may not agree with some of her solutions. She, she's out there, and she's honest about it, and she walks the walk. Some would say Ralph Nader uh, is questionable. I know there was a story on him. He wants Obama impeached for war crimes. He wants to decriminalize drugs, and he's saying something that I think is very important and does show that he has some genuine aspect to his character and that would be you know libertarians and progressives need to unite because again there are so many things and you saw like in the end van jones and these obama front men going out trying to foment this this total division and almost war between occupy and the tea party uh, both of them as we know were completely co-opted in the end anyway but but so it's good uh, for ralph Nader to say that so there are real progressives and we can go on naming them uh, and there are real conservatives. Um, I myself, I'll go with Kurt Vonnegut on this. You know, I'm neither in both. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I think a little unity doesn't hurt. And we look at issues like the food revolution, for instance, uh, the anti Monsanto backlash and GMO foods. And you see people that are real progressives and that are real uh, libertarians or real conservatives. And they are working together and they do fight on the same line sometimes. So more of that, I think, would be helpful. And of course, our uh, media and gatekeeping government's job is to make sure that never happens. Well, uh, let's just throw in the link there to Ralph Nader's America, Impeach Obama, Decriminalize Drugs, Libertarians and Progressives Unite, that's up there on Deadline Live, because I think that is uh, a good starting point for this, because you're, I think you're exactly right. I've spent uh, now more than enough time around people who are more interested in erecting their little partisan ideological fences than they are in building bridges to other people and other communities that they may not agree with. They may have points of disagreement, and yet we can still cooperate and we can still actually achieve more and better things than if we were uh, if we just adhere to our little religious like factions our little cult factions that that will not absolutely talk to anyone else um and this raises in my mind the idea that you're i think you're right that there has to be a, a wide-scale revolt against these things because no no individual story is ever going to i think be the tipping point um and you had some experience with that a few years ago with edna lane brown i know you were heavily involved with what was going on there and, and trying to raise awareness and, and help for those people and uh look what happened to them for people who don't remember the edna lane brown story give us the the two-minute nutshell yeah, sure. I mean, they, they had back taxes. They went to court. They tried to uh, access or assess on their property and collect. And so they retreated back into what they call a bunker. It's a homemade house they built that was really quite beautiful on a really beautiful piece of property in New Hampshire. And they said, come and take it. <laughs> and 
And a lot of supporters came up and they helped them. And there were a few nights we had to get them through the night, James, as there were guys in ghillie suits uh, jumping in, snipers running through their woods. Uh, we were trying to make sure they didn't get, you know, Ruby Ridged. And it came pretty close to happening. So, um, you know, to make a long story short, at the end, some of the support, the, the, you know, the fad support, like there's a lot of fad support, whatever the fad is, right? A lot of fad support for, uh, for the Clive and Bundy family, but pretty soon that's going to wear off and who knows what's going to happen to them. And so here's the moral to the story is once the alternative press stopped paying a lot of attention to them, somebody impersonated one of their supporters came in, slapped the cuffs on all of them, and they all got 30-year charges on top of a few years for IRS back taxes, 30-year charges for standoff against the government, the federal government. And that was primarily against the U.S. Marshals, who weren't really threatening them, and Homeland Security. So most likely, I'd be kind of surprised to see that very same thing not happening to the Bundys because they did threaten violence almost in the exact same way the Browns did. And, you know, they're old people, so that's life, life in prison basically for them. It certainly is. It's, uh, it's basically a death sentence. It's just a question of prolonging that out until the point at which they die. And we'll have to see how that develops. But I think you're right. I mean, if you stand up to a big brother, you're going to, to get thrown away. They, they have to make the example of it once an example has been made. Um, yeah, they, can't let, they cannot let that stand, though. I've been wondering because America is so easily distracted, they might forget that the government lost in Bunkerville, Nevada. It might just be a minor footnote in the back of a newspaper, and Americans are so unfocused and so quickly distracted, as most of us know, on to the next thing, that they may not have to go in there and make their point till much later, and then, then they'll do it. But yeah, you're right. I just don't see it just slipping by. You won. We're, we're sorry. Yeah, it just doesn't happen in this country. Not yet. Well, I'm just uh, I'm glancing through the other headlines on Deadline Live, and uh, 7.5 uh, percent plus percent of school children taking prescription psych meds. Uh, you have the Supreme Court ruling anonymous tip is enough to stop driver. Uh, feds want to scour the net for hate speech. Um, a lot of pretty depressing stuff. Please tell me there's some positive, nice story out there in the world of good news that you'd like to highlight for us. <laughs> Well, you know, it's the food revelation is good. There is a good story out of Dallas, Texas. A young woman went up and really kind of got city council in Dallas on the record. Several city council members saying that they would take the fluoride or really look at it and have a vote on taking the fluoride out of the water in Dallas, one of the biggest cities in the world, as a matter of fact, and one of the most conservative. And she did it by talking about how much money it costs. Not that it's uh, Hitler's plan to dumb us all down or it's a deadly neurotoxin. Now, some of these things are true, but that has never really worked. So she went in there and said, it's a million dollars here. It's a million dollars ancillary costs here. We don't even know how much it is over here. We could probably save about $3 million a year. We need that money. We could build a park or something or save the money, build a library. And several of the city council members, including, I believe, the mayor, uh, weighed in in her favor. And so there is going to be a vote on that. And I think that's uh, progress. And I'd like to see more of that around the country. In Seattle, Washington, I believe, a city council approved the first uh, food forest where instead of a park, they're going to plant all kinds of orchards and just have food for people that are just walking by to just help themselves to. We'll see how that works out, James. But I love to hear stories like that. So there's certainly... Um, a lot of positive information. The Scorpions drummer was arrested and jailed in Dubai. I think that's pretty funny. So I did get a kick. <laughs> <laughs> My brother is going to be devastated. <laughs> hey, you know, 
you can take the money from the, the Dubanese, right, from the UAE. You could take those big fat checks to go play rock and roll over there, but you can't flip them off, right, and start getting all drunk on the premises. This is not allowed. And so they, they punished him for that. I'm just throwing that in as a, I don't know, lighten the mood, hopefully. Look, I mean, it's not all bad news. And I, I, I'll tell you something. You look at that Supreme Court ruling, uh, I think it was in California, that anyone can just throw an anonymous tip out there. If I don't like you, James, all I got to do is call the cops and go, James, uh, his car here is driving terribly. I think he could be drunk. And, and that's okay. But see, the thing is, that's going to stand up in court now in California. They've been doing this for years. People have been doing this. It's actually nothing new. And it's, it, it's pretty bad when the Supreme Court of California sanctions it. On top of it, you know, people now I'm dealing, in fact, I'm going to be doing a disposition in a case of a friend of mine who got arrested up at a 9-11 anniversary and thrown in a nut house, you know, and we had to get him out of there and they were forced drugging him. And I'm not going to mention his name, but he's suing them now. Um, you know, if you don't like your neighbor, you just call the police and say, I don't want to give anyone any ideas out here, but this is how bad it is. You just say there's domestic violence going on in the house. They have a, no, no right to knock on the door. They don't have to knock on the door, no warrants or anything. They just kick your door and they got to take someone to jail. Same thing if they think you're mentally unstable. Um, you could be a threat to yourself or anyone else. A 5150 is a pretty famous here in America. So <laughs> it kind of is a Philip Dick novel. He pretty much nailed it. Um, you know, it, we have to do unto others as they would do unto us. We've been taught to call the police on each other constantly. I like to think that we're now, after seeing all the violence and thuggery by our police, our national police force on the Internet, that people are maybe less likely to call the police on themselves or their neighbors unless they're absolutely needed. So, And, and maybe that's never going to happen. Never happened to me, James. I actually never had to call the police for help in my entire life. And anytime anyone did... It was bad news. So it's uh, something that we deal with here. But, but this is going to, you know, this is all going to be part and parcel of this uh, new world order or this brave new world order that we're living in, snitching on each other. I think William S. Burroughs predicted this when the first drug law started coming out, that it just become a nation of snitches. And we know that's how uh, largely Nazi Germany operated out of intimidation and fear that your neighbor could tell on you. Certainly communist Russia worked like that. And and I hate to see that happening to this country. And what's furthermore, that the Supreme Court of California could sanction something like this, which is completely out of whack with the entire Constitution. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this is how uh, tyrannies function. And uh, the East German Stasi is the prime example. I can't remember what percentage, but it was some ridiculously large percentage of the population. Once the, the records were all unsealed, turned out to be secret informers for the Stasi. Everyone was informing on everyone, including informants informing on informants. So that's, I think, the type of society they're trying to create. And I think that's another important aspect to the drug war that maybe doesn't get as much attention, which is just creating that snitch state atmosphere. But you did raise something important there that I don't want to just touch on and leave because it is an important issue that I've covered uh, a, a couple of times on the Corbett Report, which is the idea of people getting thrown in mental uh, uh, mental hospitals or whatever because they, they espouse 9-11 truth and things like this. I've heard of some scattered, isolated stories of this. I know you don't want to get into the specifics of this particular story, but is there anything you can share with us about this phenomenon? Well, I mean, unless you have somebody on your side, you're in big trouble. Once they get you, you may not get out, and they start force drugging you in there, and that's what they do. And, and you know, they have now all these private mental 
prisons, so to speak, right? It's not, you used to go to the state hospital, Bellevue, they'd always call it in the, in the movies, you know, the men with the white coats would come and pull Frances Farmer out and start giving her shock therapy or whatever else. Now they have these private, little private joints, they lock you up in there and good luck trying to get out because that facility gets paid every day you stay there. So they're, they have no interest in you leaving there. You're a customer. And so it becomes really difficult. Now, I know um, some people with the Citizen Commission for Human Rights. We put one phone call into this uh, facility that was holding my friend in New York. And a, a guy I'm sure you know, too, by the way. And, and one call from Citizens Commission on Human Rights, and they changed their tune real fast. He was out by the next morning. So, you know, it's good that there are organizations out there like that that are defending people. And that kind of segues into a couple of other real quick things we could talk about. And one, the overdrugging of our children in America, not something that I think is a news story. But people that do have to understand that with more socialized medicine, more public funding, more, quote unquote, you know, insurance and Obamacare, more children and more children and more children to be diagnosed in such a capacity that they're going to be either forced to be put on these drugs or convinced or scared to take these drugs. And I think we've seen some of the direct results with all this uh, rash of violence and shootings and public violence here over the last 10 years. And most people I, I talk to would agree with that. Um, the ones that we don't think are false flags, of course. But, but in a way, this kind of is. Uh, it is kind of a way to mass brainwash society and and who knows if that doesn't work on a binary or trinary level with something else, so like harp or chemtrails or these other things. Now, I don't want to go too far out on that limb, but this is certainly a problem, the overdrugging of America. What's funny, though, is any other use of any drugs is highly illegal. In fact, there is a new law I believe they're pushing through in various hospitals. They're doing testing on prenatal uh, for women who are coming in to have babies. And if there's anything in their system that could be deemed as a felony or drug or a class one, class C drugs, uh, could even be marijuana, depending on what state you're in, they'll report you. They're going to report you <laughs> to Child Protective Services and good luck now. Because if you thought being locked in a private uh, metal gulag was bad, wait till those guys get their hands on you. Which, of course, I, I hope all of this creates outlets. We've talked about this before. Positive reactions to this tyranny, which is the midwife business gets really big all of a sudden. And people quit having their children in hospitals and maybe quit getting them over vaccinated and their blood taken, their DNA put into a massive database and all the things that, and the massive bill that you get, all those things that go with it. People have natural childbirth a little bit more. And maybe that will be um, the reaction to the, <laughs> to the cause, so to speak, in this case. But, you know, I mean, as things get better, they get worse by the day. It's just a constant battle with these people. I know everything's great over there in Japan, right? Everything's just <laughs> up there. Yeah, well, I, I wish. Um, as and In fact, there's a couple of people having a big argument right outside my window. So <laughs> if you hear the sounds of people shouting in the background, that's uh, some of the discord here in Japan. Oh, no, um, that was window the whole time all right good <laughs> but, <to> know <laughs> but if you see i'm somewhat disturbed that you just mentioned an organization that i don't think i know off the top of my head the citizens commission on human rights was that yeah cchr and they've been helping people that i've done some film projects with them and we've certainly done a lot of radio together they were super instrumental in us stopping the new freedom initiative part of no child left behind being um, put into legislation in texas and this would have been the forced psychological testing of all of our school children and then drugging of those children who didn't pass the test. Of course, that bill and that initiative, the new Freedom Initiative under George Bush, was sponsored by Eli Lilly, a, a huge campaign donor to the Bush crime family. 
So, um, oh, did I say crime family? <laughs> Oops. But uh, yeah, so so these these guys are great. They do have uh, some attachment to Scientology. I think some of them are Scientologists. Some. Uh, it's not like run by the Church of Scientology. I don't think it's anything to be scared of in that direction. These people are highly motivated. They're extremely credible. And when they call you and you have a relative in, you can't get out. I mean, they hear that name and boom, the lock's unopened. So they must be doing something right. And and I'm not really too uh, particular where I get my help from if it's quality help, if you know what I mean. Well, again, it's a bridge building thing where there's opportunity for people to, to work together, even if they disagree on other issues. And uh, the only thing keeping people apart on, on working together are these these ideological fences. I, I, I think it's bizarre that when you do look for information about the forced drugging of, of Americans and, and uh, just school children and all of this, so much of this does go back to Scientology-linked groups. It's It makes me wonder, why is no one else interested in this? Why is it all coming down to these groups? Why aren't more people getting into the well, game? No, no. Sure, there are plenty of people that they're the they're very focused and very effective. And why it's part basically it's part of their religion. But if you look at you know Luddites or or Amish or others, I mean they'll they'll probably feel the Mormons they'll probably feel somewhat the same way. They're just not as vocal or vociferous as as the CCHR and then uh, the Church of Scientology. As you remember when when <laughs> Tom Cruise had the audacity to question Brooke Shields, uh, you know talking about this postpartum depression and take these pills and you'll feel better. And he got up on Oprah or something and, and tried to Matt Lauer. Yeah. Right. And, and they crushed him. I mean, they, they haven't stopped crushing him. This was like seven or eight years ago. That's how afraid they are. I mean, they can completely turn. Now maybe Tom Cruise is a little weird. I mean, you know, we're all anyone that's going to be living in Hollywood and live his life like he did. I'm not going to judge him. We're all probably going to be a little bit strange, a little bit weird. Um, I've known some weird people at Scientology. I've known some good people. So a lot of them, very good people. And I think he had merit for his case. And the media just crushed him, pretty much ruined his career for the most part. So, And now people just mock him. Uh, why? Because he dared to speak out against the big pharmaceutical companies. Well, I, yeah, I certainly completely 100% disagree with the religious teachings of the Scientologists, but I do completely agree with what they're saying about, uh, well, not completely, but I, I do largely agree with what they're saying about mental health and, and the psychological psychological profession and how it's been, you know, manufactured. And of course, the only solution, the only solution, prescription drugs. Because of course, if they're prescription, they must be good for you, right? Um, uh, take a Soma, like I said, Brave New World Order. You know, read if you haven't read Brave New World. Uh, definitely read Brave New World Revisited. There was inside information, as you know, because Aldous Huxley's brother Julian Huxley, first head of eugenics UNESCO at the United Nations. You know, their grandfather was the puppet master for Charles Darwin. So they had a pretty good handle on some of that information, and he's a thousand percent right. He sure was, man. So. Yeah, and uh, we can only resist one person at a time, not go along with it, not be intimidated by men in white coats who get kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies, not stand for the hypocrisy that it's okay to drug your children to the gills, but it's not okay to smoke a joint or it's okay to bust you know, somebody and use the Patriot Act to bust somebody for a little bit of drugs somewhere in middle America, but it's also okay to arm and to aid the Mexican drug cartels and then guard poppy fields in Afghanistan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think now with so much information swirling around with, with our children more educated than we ever were at their age, with so much information available to them, th these masks are coming off 
and that hypocrisy is really being spotlighted. And I think that's the thing that that children and young people hate the most, James, is you say something and you don't do it. So I hope that really helps. And, and it's always good to have shows like yours that spotlight issues like this. I've gone way in depth on all of these issues and brought on really quality witnesses of people who have worked in the pharmaceutical company, whistleblowers. And, you know, we've done this story a million times. It's something I'm very passionate about. Well, if I can throw in a couple of plugs for myself, uh, people, on the note of uh, Soma and, and Brave New World and Aldous Huxley, of course, people will know that the third Monday of this month is going to be Aldous Huxley's Island. So I hope everybody's doing their homework and reading that novel. But uh, also, I, I'd say that it's not that I'm 100% against the idea of prescription drugs in all cases. I think they can be useful for some people in some ways. And I, I think I'd be in line with uh, Dr. David Healy, who we had on the program a couple of weeks ago, where he just thinks it's massively, massively overprescribed, and there needs to be much more doctor-patient interaction as human beings, rather than just as, you know, robots. Yeah, to be given, but you know, given. can I interrupt you for a yeah, second? Please. Because you know, I see where you're going, but you know what the reaction is? Massive total database and lockdown of who takes what, what medicine, mm -hmm. where. Mm -hmm. So that it's everybody's business. When I go to get a job, my employer's going to have that information. Oh, you took some pain pills back in the day, did you? Oh, okay. Well, I can't have you here. I might even yeah. take the chance you're a drug addict. You see what I'm saying? Action, so, reaction, solution. One, yep. Once again, you got a problem that is created by the very people that are providing the solution. And the solution is, you know, less privacy and, and the medical privacy. And that's another part of Obamacare. I hate medical privacy is so very important. It's, it's one of the most coveted things you have in your kitchen cupboard. You do not want people looking in there, your bedroom or any other thing. But um, I got to tell you, I'll just admit right now, I mean, there are a few pharmaceuticals I love, okay? <laughs> you want to throw me a Valium or a Vicodin, I'm not going to complain, okay? So I'm not saying all pharmaceuticals are bad either, but I especially don't like them being used as a first case because that's what we do now. First case scenario, surgery or drugs. Um, I got some horror stories to tell you about surgery too. We'll save that maybe for another time. And especially, you know, when we're drugging our children like it is. I think we're seeing the backlash from that and and again, when we mix that in with, um, you know, wireless and smart meters and, and just all the weird hokum <laughs> that's going on out there, radiation all over the place, I just have no idea what kind of soup we're, we're turning our DNA into. Another happy note to leave things on. Well, uh, as we look forward to your surgery horror stories next time, perhaps we can look <laughs> ahead to what's coming up on the Jack Blood Show in the near future. What are you working on? Who, are you've got, who have you got lined up? Well, um, I'm putting up some rock and roll videos. I got a, and some friends who are, you know, somewhat talented and famous, and they like to talk these days. So I'm giving them the opportunity. We just had Tom Five from White Zombie. We put a thing up with him. It was kind of cool. And and um, I just got the week off, James. So I'm coming back with a vengeance next week. Um, we've got uh, uh, some of your friends and mine coming on and doing commentary. Look, just uh, Google Jack Blood. Go check us out at DeadlineLive.info. I never know what's going to happen on the show every day. But if you want to catch up and get our take on daily news, not big, you know, rabbit hole subjects sometimes, but just daily news. And, you know, James, it, it's important that we demystify, debunk, and decentralize all these news stories, which is why I love what you do. That's what we do on a daily basis on the Jack Blood Show. All right, Captain Jack Blood, your radio navigator, will be uh, there on DeadlineLive.info and uh, the Jack Blood Show website. Give me that Jack Blood Show website again. We've got DeadlineLive.info and RadioFreeBlood.com. Just put Jack Blood in any search engine. I'll come up first. You'll find our Facebooks, our Twitters, and everything else. And you'll find all the work I've done with you, James Corbett, 
all these years. There and you go. good stuff. Good stuff. I'm so glad to see more and more people finding out who you are and supporting you, man. So, uh, you know, best to you and, and your family and everything. Stay bold, brother. And I hope to talk to you real soon. And best to your entire audience. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you.